it's funny, but the more I work in this space, the more I'll maintain that merit only applies to women. And what I mean by that is that targets and quotas and merit are not mutually exclusive, number one. Number two, if you look at what BHP is doing, you know, by 2025, they're, they're looking to have 50-50. And the only reason they're going for 50-50 is because when they did a drill down to all of their global business units, that they discovered that the business units that, in fact, were the most profitable, the most productive and the safest and the most engaged were the ones that had the greatest levels of diversity. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lilovich here. And Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. So today we're taking a little bit of a different tact in that we have Tanya Ciccone, who is the Executive Officer at CEOs for Gender Equity. This is a Western Australian-based organisation, and the vision of the organisation is to boost women's workforce participation, lift productivity, and increase economic growth by sustainably improving gender equity in jobs and pay in enterprises throughout WA. Wow, that's a big mouthful. Who wouldn't want yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. It is a big mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we want that across the whole of Australia. And it's something that I think it's really cool that, that WA has gone and done this, uh, but we will let you know that the reason why they've done it is because we've got the worst stats over here for the whole of Australia. So I think we need it. Mm-hmm. So Tanya works with leaders to turn the dial in WA and what her job involves is supporting leaders to transform their workforce by eliciting and sharing their stories of what works and what doesn't work to drive and to improve gender equity further. It's such an interesting topic, this idea of gender equity and what's being done and what needs to be done. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it a little bit on previous episodes about different initiatives that there can be, flexible working, for example, but it's a lot more than that. And I think what's really interesting about this interview with Tanya is so much of the focus of this organisation is about the individual CEOs and getting them to shift internally about how they feel about equity and so that they're beyond just it's the right thing to do and they're more towards this is why I want to do it and this is why it's important to me. And by having that internal change, they can actually really drive the change. Yeah. And the other thing that I find really interesting in the conversation is that Tanya is very happy with small changes She obviously knows that small steps Mm. make big strides and she's looking for people to try and encourage people to make that shift in mindset. And to her, that seems to be that that is the trigger point to then pursue these things further. So, Mm. And I love all the peer-to-peer stuff that they're doing. Like I think, you know, we are so influenced by the people who are around us and at the same level with us and they're using that in the CEOs for gender equity to really make sure that you know, CEOs in one organisation are able to influence the CEOs in another and hopefully spread it across and through the workforce, which is amazing. So listen to the interview now to find out more about what they're up to. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So by way of an introduction, we know that there are words equity and equality and that they're often used interchangeably. But There is a difference between the two, and we think it's really important for this conversation that we start off telling people, you know, why your organisation is called CEOs for Gender Equity as opposed to Gender Equality. See, that's a really good question. Did you send me this question ahead of time? No, I didn't. (laughs) Well, 
it's just my my thinking's not clear on it. But but um, the group was in fact it, yeah I inherited the name Gender Equity CEOs for Gender Equity, but the research will support language around the the use of equality. But my CEOs were very clear that they wanted to talk about substantive equity, mm. and they believed that the word equity better represented substantive equity in as much that people need different things or women, if you like, need different supports to be their best within the workforce. And that's what equity reflected, what, what, what equity meant to them. It's so true. You know, people think that we were fighting for equality, but most of the time these days, in many respects, we do have equality. You know, we have the right to work and we have all these protections against discrimination and all the rest of it, but things still aren't equitable. And I think that it's a great distinction that the organisation has made. Well, similarly, people often talk about the experience in um, Norway that they have legislation demanding equal pay for equal work. Well, in fact, we have the same legislation. (laughs) Mm. So tell us a bit about what you do at CEOs for Gender Equity. Okay, so I head up uh, 48 CEOs who are committed to improving uh, gender equity in WA. For those of you that don't know, WA likes to do things bigger and better, which is why we've got the highest pay gap in Australia and why we also have the highest amount of men in senior roles. So my work is to work with our CEOs and get them on the journey, recognising that this issue around equity is in fact um, around culture, workplace culture. It requires a degree of transformation and ultimately it needs to be led from the top. So I work with CEOs to engage them on the journey and to make sure that they make some commitments around it, which really help them reflect on their why and to share their why for gender equity to bring the rest of their organisation on board. So how much does the leader have to do with it? And you've just said it needs to be a top-down approach. So why is that? Isn't it just the case that people in the organisation just need to start asking or demanding this change? Should they just not walk with their feet and leave? I suppose so, but if we talk about people would walk with their feet and leave, I suppose for a long time we've seen many women and many women's groups agitate around this for the last, if you like, 20 to 30 years, and we've not seen a great deal of change in as much like you talk about uh, the strides we've made in equality. We're still not there yet in terms of the representation. And I think if we ask, continue to ask women to vote with their feet, many women are in vulnerable situations. They could be well be returning to work. They could be well planning a family. So it's not easy, I think, for women to walk with their feet. And the other thing is we know that typically that the p- permission for the conversation can start in the workplace if it's led from the top. So what are some of the things that you're doing to encourage the conversation to begin up there at the top? So when I first started, I started in this role three years ago to the date of International Women's Day in 2017. And uh, the one thing that struck me the most was that when I caught up with my CEOs, their commitment to gender equity was really obvious. But when I asked them what's their why for it, they were pretty clear about it being the right thing to do Mm. and whilst I accept it's the right thing to do I thought there was an opportunity to make their case for gender equity a bit more compelling so my CEOs have three commitments that they make on joining when they join they're asked to make a commitment statement about why what is their why for gender equity they also talk about why they ought to be a member and why other CEOs ought to be a member of CEOs for Gender Equity. And I find just by prompting that conversation, it's an internal conversation that they have, quite often the external relations teams will ring me and say, Tanya, 
is the CEO meant to write this or am I meant to write this? <laughs> and I say, well, what do you think? And typically she or he will say, well, I think the CEO ought to do it. I go, well, absolutely they need to do it. So that's a really useful piece. The second thing I get them to do is I get them to do a video with me on YouTube. It's called a CEO conversation. And I get them to tell me about the business case for gender equity. I get them to tell me what's been working, what's not been working. I get them to also tell me what some of their key learnings have been. And I find that that's a very useful conversation because it's the first time I believe that they've been asked to reflect overall on their performance around gender equity. What's the purpose of making that a video recording and putting it on YouTube for anyone to see, I presume? Absolutely. It goes on my website and often it's used to socialise their strategy internally. It's about accountability. Yeah. It's about accountability. So I've got to say a lot of CEOs, they really enjoy the opportunity to reflect because they don't get to reflect. Very quickly, once I've asked those questions and they've done the homework behind the scenes, they come to me and they say, oh, my goodness, despite all the effort and the focus we've had this organisationally for the last, say, 10 to 12 years, I haven't seen the dial turn. Mm. So it's a really useful piece internally. Yeah, I was just going to say to you, do you recognise or do you see that having forcing or making, encouraging, whatever, however you look at it, people to sit in front of a video camera and have that conversation in such a way that really does hold them accountable. My question was going to be, do you see a shift in people's views when they're confronted with that? But obviously you do. I think so, absolutely. And, I, and I'd hate to use the words that you know, they're forced to. Mm. Or For me, it's about just eliciting eliciting and I know if they're not doing these things if they've not got a business case if they've not got a why very quickly all of a sudden they are they do have a why all of a sudden they do have a business case because it is very much eliciting and asking the right questions so for me it's not about forcing accountability but I think well who else can ask these questions so I've got this opportunity to ask these questions Mm. quite often people from their office will ring and say, I don't know what happened in that conversation, but they've come back. It's almost like a little bit of a therapy session, Tanya. They're having a bit of therapy with you. You're asking the right questions and you're getting them to deep dive into their, you know, their belief system. I think it's a very useful strategy. Absolutely. (laughs) I've had one CEO in particular, he rewrote his national gender equity strategy. If I went in as a consultant and asked him to do that, it never would have happened as rapidly as it did just by reflecting and reviewing. And the third commitment I get my CEOs to make is acknowledging from a very pragmatic perspective that they wield a lot of influence as CEOs. Mm. And then I get them to host a CEO roundtable. So I'm the convener, but they actually host it. They host it at their premises. And they are required to host a breakfast discussion on gender equity. They invite other peer CEOs who are not members of CEOs for gender equity. So they're inviting their suppliers, they're inviting their mates, I don't care who it is as long as it's a CEO or a leader of the business, and they are inviting people around the table, only 12 to 15 maximum for an intimate conversation about gender equity. No PR, no collateral, no video presentation, no PowerPoint, it's just a conversation that they share with their peers about their journey on gender equity. Typically, I get them to share a story about um, something that um, has proven difficult for them in the business around gender equity. I ask them to be vulnerable about the topic, ask them to share what's not been working first to disarm the group. And the second thing I get them to share as well is um, what has been working. Then from there, we gather a lot of rich insights from other CEOs who perhaps aren't as mature on the journey. And typically, it normalizes gender equity around the table as a discussion point. Do you find that conversation gets quite heated? 
I can't say it gets heated, uh, but there are some real clanger moments where (laughs) you can hear when the penny has dropped for some CEOs. So it doesn't get heated. It's very, very, people are very polite and people talk about things that are very, very pragmatic. I've had CEOs who have said, oh, my goodness, with his head in his hand saying, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that women had aspirations for leadership. Really? Wow. Yeah. But I think that's a good thing because he had that realisation. And is that the reason why you keep these informal? Because you want people to, maybe this is the opposite. Maybe this is the not having to be accountable and the being able to have those open and honest discussions without someone watching or without just watching somebody else present. What difference do you see? Oh, Lucy, I find this infinitely powerful. I've had one of my CEOs, one of my previous CEOs, in fact, Deidre Wilmot, bailed out by previous CEOs who have attended these breakfasts to say it's one of the best things they've ever attended because it is transformational in nature. I mean, I've lost count of the presentations, formal presentations I've been to, Mm. where there is little time for reflection, there is little time for discussion. But I find facilitating the two-way conversation is super powerful, particularly when it's led by one of my CEO hosts, and I always have a female. If the host is male, I always have a female co-facilitator, and the female co-facilitator is always a chief executive woman. So when I have pay gap deniers sitting around the table, when a woman speaks up and says, "Um, excuse me, but I was paid 40% less than my peers when I was a CEO, and this is why, that's when the blokes tend to sit up and listen. That is very powerful. So I noticed that um, in some of the writing that I was reading around you and CEOs for gender equity, I I read a reference to the idea that we need to start changing organisations and stop fixing women, which of course led me to remember Catherine Fox's beautiful book on exactly that topic. So what kind of initiatives are you seeing these CEOs doing in their organisations that are based around that concept about changing their organisations? Well, Joe, typically they're already doing a lot of stuff. So I can't say that they're doing anything new per se. What I do see instead is that they begin to better reflect on what they're currently doing, which is mostly about fixing women and investing a lot in <laughs> fixing women. Mm. So what I do see is that they begin to pull back on those types of initiatives. So they then begin to examine what's their real purpose around this What I am seeing more broadly is because I don't promote initiatives and programs. Mm. So what I see instead that they become more reflective about their leadership shadow, about their why, their story for gender equity, their rationale for it. I find that they're more open to having these conversations, these critical conversations with their um, lead team and also with um, managers. I find they become more committed to understanding the lived experience of others I also find that they rate role modelling as as a real priority for them and that of others. I find that they begin to focus a lot on um, broader equity issues, like, for example, how can they increase the uptake of paid parental leave amongst men and women? I find that they go beyond the minimum. So I know many of our CEOs, for example, now are paying the super guarantee levy on paid parental leave, even though it's not a a requirement. Mm. Uh, it's not a legal requirement. So I see them going beyond 
what legislation would prescribe. How do they get to that point? You've just said that one of your CEOs said they didn't know women had leadership ambitions. So how do they get from that point to paying over and above and doing these extra things? So that particular person, he's not one of my members. So... (laughs) Penny hasn't quite dropped yet, perhaps, getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, he's no longer in that organisation because he's moved on. But, I mean, I suppose how do they, if we look at other examples, how do they move on? What I've seen is, for example, I'll give you another example of where CEOs have decided uh, to make this a priority. They then begin to understand that those gender equity strategies that they have on the shelf need to be activated and that typically any serious transformation, whether it's around digital transformation or, um, you know, going lean, they know that they need to get behind those initiatives. Simply, whatever delights the CEO interests other people, interests their team. So typically what I see is that once they decide to make this more of a priority, they'll set targets. It could be discretionary targets where they set them for, for example, just in discrete areas of the business, like maybe around the recruitment of apprentices, maybe looking to strive for 50-50 in the recruitment pool, or it could be a broader commitment to targets across the business. I find that there's a deeper commitment to understanding the numbers to see, well, whilst they may may have 50-50 across the business, well, where in fact are those women concentrated? Mm -hmm. And typically do the women in senior roles. So it's Mm. becoming more aware and drilling down. And I'll call that rolling up their sleeves. So they typically roll up their sleeves. I've had CEOs make commitments to going back to the office to learn once, uh, you know, to to learn more about their advertising process and the recruitment process. Yes. They go back and they've made a commitment to review the ads. They go back to their office to do more of an audit around the collateral to see how women are being depicted in their collateral or how they're not in, in most cases. It's a good point. I mean, imagine if a brochure is just all full of men, mm. then it's going to turn a woman off considering the option. How much do you find that the initiatives that people are doing when they, you know, they start off with this idea that gender equity is important, we should be doing some things and they are doing things. How much do you find that the initiatives that they start with and perhaps continue with are focused around women with children as opposed to just women generally? Mm. Can you explain that a bit more? So I find that a lot of people, when they start talking about needing to improve the numbers of women in a workforce, they start thinking about things like paid parental leave or flexible working arrangements. And that tends to be the two initiatives that get talked about a lot. Whereas there's obviously a lot of other things that can be done. And you've referred to one, such as reviewing recruitment. How much do you think these these organizations and CEOs are focusing on those ones that are directed towards women with children, as opposed to just more broadly? Look, our conversations shift the conversation to making this not just a women's issue, that it's a workforce issue, that ultimately there's a war for talent. Certainly in WA, we're seeing more green shoots here after we've had some really significant contractions in, in business here. So we know that there's a wall for talent. So the best way to open up the talent pool and to tap into another 50% of the population that typically gets excluded is by focusing on broader strategies around brand, attraction and retention. Yes, there is a focus certainly on mums leaving the workforce. Even before women have babies, many women are opting out because they can see that they can't accommodate a future in a certain environment as well as a family and a home. So typically there are some targeted discussions around that, but our conversations more broadly are about and it sounds counterintuitive. It is about attracting women, but ultimately it's a workforce issue. It's everyone's business. 
One of the things you mentioned a few minutes back was about some CEOs who set targets and you know, the kinds of things that they're looking to achieve when they're implementing their own strategies. What do you say about the debate that goes on around whether we should set targets for equal representation or whether people should be promoted or appointed based on merit? So, Lucy, are you deliberately presenting that to me as a mutually exclusive option? <laughs> no, I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to get at the point. You know, a lot of people say we don't like having targets or having to have specific numbers of people represented at different levels because we think that the promotional appointment should be solely based on merit. It's funny. But the more I work in this space, the more I'll maintain that merit only applies to women. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that targets and quotas and merit are not mutually exclusive, number one. Number two, if you look at what BHP is doing, you know, by 2025, they're, they're looking to have 50-50. And the only reason they're going for 50-50 is because when they did a drill down to all of their global business units, that they discovered that the business units that, in fact, were the most profitable, the most productive and the safest and the most engaged were the ones that had the greatest levels of diversity. Mm-hmm. So they're going for 50-50 deliberately for business reasons, and that is not to the exclusion of merit. Absolutely not. The other thing is when I say that I'm increasingly discovering that merit only applies to women. I work with other CEOs who aren't our members as well, and even recently I caught up with a CEO who was very enthusiastic about driving the gender agenda forward, and this particular CEO was enjoying success at a board level, saying the board was now keen to open up positions to women because they've been male-dominated <laughs> since their inception. And that's okay. I accept that. I completely accept that. And I'm really excited about his enthusiasm. But for the first time, they are using uh, developing a skills matrix mm. and they are going to recruit for skills the first time. And I asked him to reflect how interesting it is, had they ever used a skills matrix before and recruited on skills before? And he said no. So what were they looking for before? Just their mates maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting. That's so interesting, Tanya, because I would imagine that when they do this skills matrix, if they assess themselves, they might find <laughs> that they're they're actually lacking or not contributing in terms of the skills that the, the mix of people on the board currently have. But honestly, what were they looking for before? If they're not looking for skills, what are they doing? Honestly, that's an honest question. <laughs> Answer me. <laughs> this role, I choose my battles. And the main mm. thing is that I'm really delighted uh, about his enthusiasm for affecting this change. And I can tell you now, it's not easy for him and others who do this. It's That's really right. difficult. So in terms of being a male champion, he is doing an outstanding job, albeit under the surface, if you like, behind the scenes. It's tricky business. It's absolutely tricky. So I've got a ton of empathy for him, absolutely a ton of empathy. So as well as while I ask... Um, you know, some questions I don't necessarily, maybe I could ask, I could go a bit tougher and I could ask a bit. <laughs> we can read between the lines and he certainly read between the lines and thought it was funny, but yes, yeah, certainly. So they're employing a skills matrix to ensure that they recruit on skills in future. Amazing. Wow. I think it's really interesting that you pointed out BHP's 50-50 approach because I had a meeting with someone recently and they were talking about implementing targets and it had been recently put to me why do we need targets? Why do we need any other target but for 50-50? Because at the end of the day, that's surely what we're aiming to achieve. Why do we need to have a 20% target or a 30% target? You know, it's kind of like putting in place stepping stones. What do you think, Tanya? I think it depends on the appetite of the business, their risk appetite, if you like. I mean, I've been with a CEO where 
he said, you know, I've got these three strategies around gender equity sitting on the shelf. What can I do? And I said, well, the first thing you could do is set a target. We set a target in his office and then he decided you know, to progress from there. He decided to go 30%. And that probably was consistent with their appetite for this more broadly. So I am not attached to you know, the actual number per se. The setting of the target, what it does is behind the scenes, it means that you you need to drill down within your businesses to understand where your numbers are. You need to understand better where um, women are overrepresented, where they're completely underrepresented. The other thing targets do is they facilitate the mandate for the conversation. So it's a lot more than beyond the, than the numbers. So to me, the number is actually arbitrary for me at the end of the day. Certainly, I'd love to see 50-50 more broadly, but ultimately, I think it just really facilitates permission and the mandate to have those conversations. What I really sense from speaking to you is that what you're looking for is progress. You've said a couple of times that you're not so much interested in the strategy. You just said you're not interested in the number. What you want is people to realize and then people to make changes. And where Joe and I have been shocked at some of the things that you've told us, you seem to just accept it and it doesn't matter to you because when people have had those realizations, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It's that they've realized. And so now they can progress. Absolutely. Because without that realization, without that learning and that acknowledgement from within, yeah, I can see that progress wouldn't happen. Mm, That's really good. Thank you, Tanya. You've given us a lot to think about. I think that everyone else will have a lot to think about too. (laughs) There's two questions that we like to ask of all the guests on our show. And the first of them is, do you have a mantra? It can be gender related or not. We don't mind, but a mantra, words that you live by. Probably a couple. And I think I've used one already. In this particular work, I think I do choose my battles. I choose my battles wisely. I've never been in a pure advocacy role. Mm. So part of, I think, being a pure advocacy, it's, um, it can be exhausting. So part of choosing my battles wisely, I look to invest in areas where I look to get most bang for my buck at the end of the day whilst looking after me. And the other mantra I suppose I live by personally and professionally is I um, focus on what I can control and let go of the rest. I like that. Yeah. Don't lose sleep over what I can't control and influence where I can't. I wonder when I'll stop thinking of Frozen when I hear the let it go expression. I'm waiting for the day that that happens. We've had let it go all weekend. Lily's just discovered it and is obsessed with it. And I didn't even pick up on it. So maybe I've blocked it out. (laughs) Thank God my daughters are are coming out of that phase. Actually, they were never hugely into it. But your daughter's only three, so Lucy, so you've got a long time to go. Yeah. Um, Well, the best thing about Frozen is that they all wore blue. So that was great. (laughs) Exactly. No pink. Um, Tanya, one more question. Because as we've said at the beginning in our intro, you are also a mother and not just someone who is, you know, helping change the, the, move the needle as such when it comes to gender equity in workplaces. So would you share with us one piece of advice for all those women out there who are attempting to manage their career and their family? So this is probably another mantra, but to be in the moment. Yeah, to be really present. So when it's at work, you're at work. And, and I don't mean about compartmentalising, but to be in the moment. So when you do have those times with your children, it is about being in the moment. I, for example, don't have any alerts on my phone, any alerts on my social media. My daughter loathes it when I pick up the telephone. So when I'm with her, I'm with her. And typically when I'm at work, I'm at work. So I just, like I said, it's not about compartmentalising, but it is about being in the moment and making the most of every moment and not to wish away the years. Because they go so fast, don't they? Mm. 
Yeah. Days are long, but the years are short. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Well, Tanya, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this interview today. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for joining us. And we'll share links in our show notes for where our guests can find out more about what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'd love it if you could subscribe and give us a five-star rating and better yet, leave us a review to let us know what you think. It's always so nice to actually hear what you think, what you liked and what you didn't like, because we know that you've listened, but we're not sure which bits were Mm. good and which bits were not, what you'd like to hear more of. So please just take a couple of minutes and let us know. Leave us a review because that's good, but send us a message. We've had a few messages and emails lately, feedback on the show, which has been lovely. And it's so nice to talk to people instead of just seeing the numbers that we see in terms of the downloads and stats. And so do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And we personally reply to all the emails, of course. So you can email us at hello at thejuggle.com.au. If you want to talk to us in Facebook, then there's our Facebook community called The Juggle Community and you can find the links to that and to everything else at our website which is thejuggle.com.au See you next time everyone Happy juggling! Happy juggling!